Let's open our Bibles together to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, this is the Apostle Paul's second letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, a young pastor at the church of Ephesus. Uh, Timothy was a young man who grew up in a um, spiritually mixed home. His mother was a believer, his father was not, and God used the preaching of the Apostle Paul to bring him to faith in Christ and uh, to raise him up and to use him. Um, Timothy was struggling with opposition in the ministry, and he needed encouragement. He needed encouragement from the Lord to be steadfast uh, and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So follow with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. You then, my child, in other words, my child in the faith, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Dwight L. Moody is a household name among many Christians, being considered one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Lyle Dorset, in his biography of Moody entitled A Passion for Souls, says that by the time of Moody's death in 1899, the secretary of the International Committee of the Young Men's Christian Association declared that Mr. Moody delivered the gospel message in a larger number of places to a larger number of persons a larger number of times than any man who ever lived. The biography Uh, cites one of Moody's critics who caustically admitted in his rage to save souls, Moody traveled more than a million miles, addressed more than a hundred million people, and personally prayed and pleaded with 750,000 sinners. But a lifetime of ministry spanning almost two-thirds of the 19th century, was not without many obstacles. To begin with, Moody was a poor boy, born into poverty as the sixth child in a large farming family in Massachusetts. His father died when he was an infant, and Dwight's education never went beyond fifth grade. He came to faith in Christ at the age of 19, and his early years of ministry took place during the time of the Civil War. Later, after founding the Illinois Street Church, which later was renamed to the Moody Church, he watched almost everything he had built destroyed by the Chicago Fire of 1871. You can add to this the untold number of opponents and false accusers throughout his ministry and you begin to scratch the surface of the kinds of difficulties that he experienced as a soldier of Christ. 
But through it all, there was this confident faith that undergirded him. Later he said, if God calls a man to a work, he will be with him in that work, and he will succeed no matter what the obstacles may be. That is the mindset that a disciple of Jesus Christ needs to have. We need to be running the Christian race with that kind of attitude, knowing that by the power of the Spirit, we are fulfilling the very will of God, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want us to continue thinking about making disciples. Two weeks ago, uh, we revisited the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and we heard the command of the Lord Jesus to make disciples and um, to do that of throughout the world, to do that of, of all kinds of ethnic groups throughout the world. Last Sunday, we listened to Jesus urge us to count the costs of what it means to follow him, to be a loyal disciple of Christ. And today, we're going to think about the subject of endurance. We're going to think about the kind of endurance that leads to the multiplication of disciples. Making disciples is difficult, um, but it's a worthy cause for us to invest our lives in because of the multiplication effect that then goes on for generations to come. That brings us to our big idea this morning, which is this. Making disciples includes enduring hardship while focusing on spiritual multiplication. You will not be an effective disciple maker for the Lord Jesus Christ if you think that the Christian life is a cakewalk. If you think that life is going to be easy, if you think you're not going to face any opposition from other people as you strive to help people to grow in understanding what it means to follow Christ in obedience, it will be difficult. And so when Jesus called men and women to follow him, he called them to endure hardship. Uh, the very upfront, he, he warns that affliction and adversity are inherent to a life of radical obedience to him. For example, John 16, 13, in the world you will have tribulation. It's a guarantee. You will have tribulation. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And later the apostle John wrote, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The Apostle Paul testifies of this as well. Near the end of his life, he, he writes his last letter uh, here while imprisoned in Rome. And here he encourages a young pastor with words of hope and endurance for the sake of the gospel. So here we listen in on Paul's letter to Timothy. And here in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 2, we have uh, what we might consider a very concise call to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel and to give your life to the work of spiritual multiplication. There are three exhortations that you need to consider this morning. Number one, maintain your faithfulness through grace. 
maintain your faithfulness through grace. If you are going to be faithful and successful from God's perspective in being a disciple of Christ and then multiplying that discipleship in other people, you must come to the point where you are leaning upon God's grace. This is a spiritual work that cannot happen in the power of the flesh. You can try to make it happen in the power of the flesh, but it will not result in spiritual results. It will not result in the kind of fruitfulness that we long to see in our ministries. And so here you see in verse 1, Paul says, You then, in other words, considering the hardships of gospel ministry, Timothy, you need to be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the grace that Paul is talking about here is not saving grace, but strengthening grace. This is the kind of strengthening grace that the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 when he's talking about the thorn in the flesh that that God gave to him. Satan was the delivery boy for uh, that thorn in the flesh, but it was God's sovereignty that was over all of it for the purpose of humbling Paul and keeping him humble so that he would be useful to God. And it is there in 2 Corinthians where Paul tells us that Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. God's strength is made perfect or made complete in the experience of our lives in weakness. It's when we feel our weakest that God's power comes through in very strong ways. We are strengthened by His grace. And this grace comes from Christ. And it's necessary to endure the difficulties of the Christian life and of disciple-making ministry. Jesus says in John fifteen four, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus said, Apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from the strengthening grace of God, we cannot serve God faithfully in this work of disciple-making. So Paul the Apostle knows from experience that he was strongest when he was weakest. And Paul doesn't write from an ivory tower. He writes from a life that is filled with suffering. There are numerous times in his letters where he talks about the ways that he suffered. And so he's writing to Timothy as one who has walked a very difficult road. And he's coming now to the end of his his life, and he wants to maintain his faithfulness. So he says, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That brings us then to a second exhortation to consider, and that is multiply yourself by equipping others. 
multiply yourself by equipping others. We are just one person, each of us, and, and what we can accomplish for the work of the Lord depends on how we approach the, the whole idea of discipleship. Notice that the Apostle Paul lays out for us a plan of multiplication, not addition. There's a difference, you know, those of you who like math, you know the difference between addition and multiplication. Multiplication is far greater in its impact than addition is. And so that's the philosophy of ministry here that Paul lays out for us. Look at verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul says, take what you have learned from me and now you take that and you invest in the lives of other people. You equip them with what I taught you so that then they can go and equip more. And the multiplication impact just increases. This is a really important way for us to view disciple-making ministry. Rather than adding one person at a time and then moving on to the next one, we invest in the life of those who come to the Lord. We cause, we, in the power of the Spirit, we are part of him causing them to grow in Christ to maturity and fruitfulness so that then they are ministering to others and it just expands from there. It's really important that we understand this. So Paul says, take the deposit that I've entrusted to you and be faithful to then entrust that to faithful men. So look around at the people in your life and say, Lord, show me, show me one, two, or three faithful people that I can now pour my life into so that then they can then do the same with others. And that's how God's church expands. That's how he spreads his word that they will be able to teach others also. Now, that teaching there that Paul's referring to is not talking about formal class instruction, though certainly that would be included. Or we're talking about really any means by which we teach, that we come alongside another person and we walk with them and we help them to see how the Lord wants to strengthen them by his grace to walk in greater faithfulness to the Lord. So this teaching is, is somewhat of a broad term that covers all the variety of ways that we communicate the truth of the gospel and the word of God to others. And so we have a mission to fulfill to reproduce our spiritual life, in, which is the life of Christ, in others. This is just really, really important for how we view ministry. So Paul did not consider the process of discipleship complete until a person that he taught could then teach others. You see where I'm getting? You know where I'm going with this? 
What's the long view? We've got to be investing in the lives of other people and discipling them with the big picture in mind, the long view. Discipling them that they might be able to teach others. Now notice there are four people mentioned in this verse. There are four generations, you might say, in view. You have the teacher or the evangelist, that's Paul, what you've heard from me, and then the one being taught In this case, it's Timothy, the one who responded to the gospel, and then Paul poured his life into him. He's one of many that Paul poured his life into. Then Timothy takes what he's been discipled with and passes that on then to faithful men, who then those faithful men teach others as well. Too many believers are content with just knowing the Lord themselves and not really taking what the Lord has taught them and investing it in other people. That God's great commission might spread like wildfire throughout the world. When you think of Moody, it's impossible to measure the impact of his life without thinking about multiplication and how that worked itself out. For example, after his conversion, he established a mission Sunday school in Chicago to reach lost children. That then led to the founding of the Illinois Street Church, which is now the Moody Church. He then brought along a young woman named Emma Dreyer, who established a school to train women in evangelism and missionary outreach. And this was then followed by the establishing of a school to train men and women in Christian work. The Chicago Evangelization Society, which later became the Moody Bible Institute. And the Bible Institute, of course, remains the most famous, but there were other training schools as well. And so as a result of making disciples, not simply converts... In other words, we're not just to preach the gospel to people until they make a decision for Jesus and then we move on to the next person. If God gives us the fruit to be able to see someone come to know Jesus, then it's our responsibility as the one who who led them to Jesus to now pour into their life and disciple them and help them to understand what it means to walk with Jesus. Multiplication is where it's at. But there's something that I haven't told you yet about Moody, and that is how God worked in his life to begin with. Because in the, Mo- in the beginning, Moody was someone's Timothy. There was a Paul in Moody's life. A name you probably haven't heard before, Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher at the Mount Vernon Congregational Church in Boston. When the young poor boy Moody showed up in Sunday school that day, the other kids snickered at him because he didn't know where to find books in the Bible. But his teacher patiently, humbly worked with him, handed him his Bible to the place where it needed to be. Later, he visited Moody at the shoe store where he worked because the Holy Spirit had so impressed upon Kimball, that here was a young man who needed the Lord Jesus. 
He says that he was so absorbed in following the Lord's leading that morning that he walked right past the shoe store where Moody was working. And when he realized it, he went back and he found Moody in the back of the store wrapping and shelving shoes. He says, I went up to him, put my hand on his shoulder, and as I leaned over, I made my plea as I feel that it was a really weak one. I don't know just what words I used. I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love that Christ wanted in return. In the days that followed, God saved Dwight Moody by the grace of Jesus Christ and began a whole new cycle of multiplication. Please understand, brother, sister in Christ, God didn't intervene in your life by his grace merely to save you. You ought to be overjoyed by that. All of us ought to be. But he did that to start multiple cycles of multiplication to use us to invest in the lives of others. So every follower of Christ is a Timothy. Who is your Paul? You can probably think of a person, at least one person that God used to introduce you to Jesus in a saving way. But then I'll have to ask you, if you know the Lord, then who is your Timothy? Who are you pouring your life into and discipling with God's word, helping them to understand what it means to follow Christ? It's really throughout our lives, all of us need a Paul and a Timothy at all times. We need people who are more mature than we are, farther along in the walk of discipleship, to continue to mentor us and help us, guide us, teach us, love us, correct us when we need to be corrected, but be committed to seeing us grow. And then we need Timothys. We need people that we are pouring our life into, passing on what we have learned. You see these pass-it-on billboards all over the place, right? Pass it on. Well, they don't use it in a biblical way, but here's where it started. <laughs> Take what you've learned, pass it on. Pass it on to somebody else. Too many Christians are like a wet sponge in the bottom of a kitchen sink. They sit and they soak up all kinds of biblical teaching but never pass it on to others. And so the sponge never gets squeezed out. And so they, they sit and they sour and they stink. I hope that wasn't too offensive. <laughs> but, but it's true. It's what happens to us if all we do is sit and soak. Soak it in and we don't do anything with what we are being taught. If we don't squeeze out the sponge... Uh, we're going to become less attractive to those that we are trying to reach with the gospel. Less 
we will adorn the gospel less and less if we become like that sour sponge. So let me ask you this morning, have you grown in your walk of discipleship to the point where you can produce, reproduce yourself in other people? If not, why not? Well, perhaps you're a brand new believer, and so that, that might be part of it. And you, you are still in the very early stages of being a Timothy, and, and you are soaking it in, and you are learning to apply God's word, and you are growing And you need to just be ready for when the Lord wants you to open your mouth and share that with someone else. But many of you probably have known the Lord for many, many years. Can you name anyone? Can you name anyone that God has used you to influence with the gospel such that they are now reproductive disciples of Christ as well? That's what we need to be thinking about. Who are we investing our lives in? And perhaps you are a Timothy who needs a lot of help and encouragement because you're early in the walk of of knowing Christ, then please reach out to older believers. Talk to an elder or a deacon or, or a ministry leader here in the church and say, hey, would you just help me? learn what it means to grow in Christ? We want that kind of ministry to be going on constantly in our church. So that's how disciples multiply, Paul says. Well, then notice there's a third exhortation. Mature yourself by enduring suffering. Uh, Notice that Paul says in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Some translations say, endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So share in the suffering of Christ. Understand that hardship is one of the chief tools that God uses to reshape us into the image of Christ. And Paul uses three metaphors here that illustrate the, the endurance that is required for us to be reproductive disciples. Notice the first uh, is to be loyal like a soldier. Verses 3 and 4, be loyal like a soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Anyone engaged in warfare, soldier, well, that's what, that's what we are. When we come to know Christ, we are being enlisted into a war as a soldier of Christ Jesus. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battlefield. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Be loyal like a soldier. Understand that Christ has enlisted you into his army and he wants your loyalty, the kind of loyalty we talked about last week when we were in the Gospel of Luke. So many times we think that human beings are our enemies. And Paul says our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against 
someone much more powerful. There are evil, demonic, satanic forces at work in this world, opposing everything that Christ stands for, everything. And so we've got to understand that we are in a war. God wants our loyalty. And part of that loyalty means not getting ourselves entangled in worldly pursuits. Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled or interwoven. Here, it's the pictures of a, is of a soldier's sword that gets entangled in his cloak. Can't get it out to fight the battle because it's too tangled up. It's kind of like when my wife is braiding a girl's hair and something gets tangled in the hair. Paul says, don't get entangled in the things of the world to the point where they hinder your discipleship. Again, as we learned last week, it's not that God is saying don't enjoy the things of the world. James 1 says that every good and perfect thing comes from above. And, and he's given us so much to enjoy. The question is, what place do those things have in your heart? What place does stuff have in your heart? And the civilian pursuits, so to speak. One of our sons spent seven years in the military and one year in Afghanistan. And and so when he was in the army, that was his life. There was nothing else except the army. He didn't have time or energy to be entangled in civilian pursuits. And that's the way it is for us. We're called to not conform ourselves to be like the world, but to renew our minds that we might follow the will of God. It's impossible to be a loyal disciple of Jesus Christ if you are conforming your mind to the ways of the world. It's impossible. So this is a call to single-minded focus in life. A soldier who recognizes that the war cannot afford soldiers fooling around in enemy territory, that's the one who will stay on mission as a follower of Christ. Secondly, notice he says, be obedient like an athlete. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless... He competes according to the rules. Anyone engaging in the public games that Paul had in mind here as he's writing this uh, had to follow the rules as he was contending in the athletic contests. Athletes in his day committed themselves to 10 months of training where they engaged in, in certain exercises and they were required to live a strictly separated life, no ordinary pursuits. They had to give up everything extra in their life. They were required to follow a very rigid diet. They were equipping themselves to run the race, to win the games. And, and if they didn't do that, there was no chance they'd get the crown. No chance. The question is then, are you willing to engage yourself in the hard work of discipleship? Do you discipline yourself daily in the areas that will determine your spiritual maturity? Do you spend time in God's word, feeding your soul and renewing your mind? 
and talking to the Lord about the troubles on your heart, pleading with him to soften the hearts of those in your life who do not yet know Christ, that when you speak to them, they might be receptive to the gospel. Are you willing to follow a rigid diet of the word of God, or are you settling for the world's junk food? Are you content with all the additives? Are you hungry for the real thing? And then finally, verse 6, be diligent like a farmer. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. It's the farmer who works to the point of exhaustion, laboring with wearisome effort and toil. He's the one who's going to get the harvest. He's going to endure with diligence. It's amazing how many times in the Bible you find ministry connected to agricultural metaphors. And that encourages us in many ways. One of the things it does is it helps us to realize that ministry fruitfulness takes time. It's not overnight. It takes time to invest in people's lives. And so instead of just leading someone to the Lord and then saying, oh, have a good time with Jesus, I'm going to now focus on somebody else. Instead, you do the hard work of planting seeds and weeding the garden and, and helping the person to grow so that they then become fruitful and they multiply. One day, God will reward those who work hard in the ministry. That's what Paul's saying. John Kitchen says it this way in his commentary, that even if the appropriate earthly reward is never received, God's word assures us that no one who labors for the Lord will fail to be rewarded. We've got to keep that in mind. The rewards later. Discipline now. Hard work now. Endurance now. The reward is later. And finally, look at verse 7. Paul says, think about these things. <laughs> think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think about these things. Think about what we have learned about this morning, about endurance. Think about what we learned about last week, about loyalty to Christ. Think about what we learned the week before, about, about God commanding us to use the authority that Jesus has delegated to us to make disciples of Christ, to make followers of Christ. Think over these things, and the Lord will guide you. He will show you how to apply this sermon to your life. Isn't that encouraging? It's really encouraging for me as a preacher because there's no way I can possibly think of all the ways that one sermon could be applied to 200 or 300 people. It's impossible. And I'm so grateful that I don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit does that. He takes the word and he applies it. So talk to the Lord about how you need to apply uh, these last few sermons on what it means to follow Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God who inspired it for us. He breathed it out, gave it to us. Uh, Lord, we know that 
no matter how long we've known Jesus, that we are works in progress. There's a lot of growing that needs to happen, and so I pray that we will be diligent to submit ourselves to your program of training for us. Father, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here today who doesn't yet know Jesus in this way, that you would just speak to their hearts and help them to know uh, how much you love them, that you gave your only begotten Son who died in their place and rose from the dead to give new life to anyone who will repent and turn to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would accomplish your work in us and through us and expand the work of discipleship through us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.